Okay, so this is a, a short podcast which picks up a theme in the HSF Global M&A Report for 2019. Um, we're going to be discussing strategies and challenges in retaining talent in an M&A context. My name is uh, Graham Preston. Uh, I'm head of corporate and a partner in our t- Tokyo office. And I'm joined by Rebecca Mazen-Stanage. And I'm an M&A partner in our Sydney office. Now, Graham, talent is such an important topic in M&A, isn't it? We know that when a company announces M&A, it doesn't take long for the headhunters to start circling because they know that people can become unsettled about their future role in the group. And it is so critical for the company that they stay and focus both on getting the deal done and making sure the business continues to perform in the interim. But if anything, maintaining key talent in the next phase, the integration phase, is even more important. I think I think that's absolutely right, Rebecca. And I think it's true to say that for, for all our clients globally, it's critical that they get the benefits of um, their M&A uh, through successful uh, post-merger uh, in- integration. And I'm closest uh, to, to, to the Japanese market. And if I speak to, to a number of Japanese clients, at the top of the list is always how can we make the post-merger integration uh, successful. And for Japanese clients, and I think for, for, for clients across Asia, uh, they want to know how to retain um, senior management of, of the target. And they want to understand how to incentivize that management to stay and also to incentivize that management um, going forward. And interestingly enough, for, for a number of sort of uh, corporates in Asia and particularly in Japan, you know, they, their strategy is to acquire 100% of the target. And so there isn't an opportunity, therefore, to offer senior management equity going forward in, in that target. And so that leads them to uh, think about how they can structure an incentive plan around bonuses and also um, perhaps by increasing increasing salaries with some kind of golden handcuffs to, to the company. Um that that said, there is another sort of interesting angle to that because if you look at Japanese corporates, uh, they have a relatively flat pay, pay structure. So senior senior executives in Japan are not play, paid this kind of multiples of salary uh, of of other workers that you might see in say Australia or or in Europe, and so. Sometimes you have a situation whereby the the Japanese corporate would acquire a, a target in Europe or, or in Australia or elsewhere, and you know management in, in that overseas subsidiary would be looking to be paid in excess of, of management in, in in Japan. And of course, that that's that's a challenge for for the Japanese corporate uh, and the group how to manage that and how to how to sort of maintain their corporate culture where there's a relatively flat pay structure, but then integrate that, the overseas senior management into the group. So I think that's that's a really sort of interesting aspect that I've seen recently um, from Japanese corporates. Um, and I think the other one more generally, and I think we're going to come, come on to this, particularly when looking at investments into tech companies, is how you align a corporate culture, uh, which is perhaps quite traditional, uh, it, it is uh, quite hierarchical, it is perhaps... Um, you know, involves a lot of approval processes to get decisions made. How do you integrate, align that kind of culture with perhaps a, a sort of a company which is is dynamic, which is which is perhaps a startup company? It, it has a very flat structure, uh, and how do you how do you com- align those two things to make sure that that it is successful? 
Gosh, that's fascinating about the not perhaps being able to pay people enough money angle. Sometimes we see the very opposite issue where key management are in a company that's just being taken over and if they had significant shares, they get that real windfall. So they're actually not as motivated to work anymore or at least want to take a long holiday just as the integration's happening. And given, as you've mentioned, Graham, it's so critical to have the key people on board and motivated to be helping in that phase. That can be an issue of itself. That's absolutely right, and I and I think um, you know what what I'm seeing is that you know a lot of corp, traditional corporates again are, are looking for something which is going to transform that transform their business um, in, in perhaps the medium to long term, and they're looking to new technologies. They're looking to uh, you know the Internet of Things, and looking to artificial intelligence, and typically that the companies that are at the cutting edge of those technologies are often startup companies, or, or they are fairly uh, uh, sort of new new companies which which have a number of individuals who are the powerhouse within that company they are the they are the real value to to the the business and so it's really about i think in many cases the corporate looking about how how can they retain that value how can they retain those founders and i guess from a legal perspective you you look you look at how do you protect the ip so you know, one aspect you look at is, is is how the company, for example, makes sure that any IP that's created by these uh, founders is kept by that that corporate entity. But you have the challenge of the know-how. So the, the founders will have a lot of know-how, and you don't want them to sort of leave the company, join a competitor, and 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 you lose value in the asset that you've just you've just acquired. I think as part of that, you also have to look about, as I've said earlier, about motivating the the founders. Um, you know, it's not always about money. And I, and I think that's a very important point to make. I think sometimes it's about culture. You know, the reason these companies are successful is because often they have a very dynamic and, and open and free culture. And so the, the corporate wants to to allow that to continue so so, the, so those founders continue to develop and, and, and make exciting progress on the technology. But at the same time, they have corporate governance issues they, they want to look to to have some control over that that uh, tech tech startup or or relatively new company so i think again that's 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 quite an interesting aspect and i think the final point i make on this is that i don't think there's any any right answer as to how you could structure your um, retention package for for key founders and and employees i think you need to look at the particular circumstances um, and then you really need to sort of be innovative in, in the proposal that you put forward to, to make sure that it aligns with your, your commercial commercial objectives. That's certainly right. And uh, even how you structure that is potentially another challenge because there do tend to be quite jurisdiction-specific rules, don't there, on exactly what you can do. I mean, an example in Australia in a public M&A context, we've got to make sure that we comply with various listing rule and company law restrictions on what you can do with or without a shareholder vote in the retention space. And then post-merger, as you say, it is so important to think strategically about what's going to keep both the original team happy and then the new team members from the target and incentivize them as well, hopefully in a way that somehow moves those cultures closer together rather than emphasizing differences between them. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes we, we, we see the issue whereby, you know, to, to, to keep the to keep the real talent, we have to actually look to remove some people from, from the, the, the target that's been acquired. Um, and that can be particularly challenging depending on, on, on the jurisdiction that you're dealing with. So to give, to give one example, uh, you know, if you're doing a, a transaction in, for example, France, they have very strong labor laws. And so if you, if you acquire a company and you decide that actually there are perhaps too many people and there are people that, you know, you need to, to, to move on, um, it, is, it is quite challenging. And, and I think uh, you know, when we're advising clients, we have to advise at a very early stage around these kind of kind of issues because there is often, at the end of the day, a, you know, significant cost attached where, where you're doing a deal in, in a very sort of um, employee-friendly uh, jurisdiction where, where they're protected by strong employment laws. Sure. And getting back to the people you want to keep, I suppose putting the legal requirements aside critically at the end of the day is winning their hearts and minds so that you've got that group who are so critical to delivering the value you want from the merger are engaged and motivated so that they still look to take the combined group forward post-merger. Yeah, again, I I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, I mean, I I guess there are probably sort of three points I'd make in in sort of summary of of a number of these themes that we've just been talking about. I mean, I think, I think, as I said earlier, I think there's no right answer to how you structure your retention plan for, for uh, key employees. And I think as a, you would use a combination of, of uh, models to, to, to achieve your business aims. And I think that would depend on uh, the commercial drivers, but also, as we've touched on, it depends on the, the sort of legal position in various countries. Um, I think, uh, you know, again, another point, you know, for a number of these acquisitions, particularly in the technology sector, you know the real value is in in the people, and it's it's hearts and minds. I think you, you know, as lawyers, we, we can look around papering uh, the contract, their 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 um, employment contract, but I think it's critical to to look at bridging the cultural gap between the uh, acquirer and the target, and really looking at those those challenges and working out. Um, ways to bring the businesses to, to, together and, and make sure there's a successful working relationship going forward. Um, and I, I think it is true to, to say um, that, that post-merger integration really is um, top of the list of, of, of uh, most deal makers um, because once the deal's done, you know, that, that's, that's where the sort of, if you like, the most difficult part starts is integrating that business into, into the wider group. Thanks, Graham. Pleasure chatting with you about talent. Perhaps we'll leave it there. But do check out our other podcasts in this series where we discuss politicians' involvement in the M&A process, antitrust regulators, the impact they're having on M&A, and, of course, shareholders and their impact in an M&A context. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.